Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paint. They make Williamsburg oil colors and core watercolors and a bunch of mediums and other paint supplies that are the best quality you can get. You can find Golden in your local art store, or you can find out more information about them and their employee-owned company at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee. Since Fulcrum has started me on their subscription coffee program, I've been trying new coffee each week, and there hasn't been a dud so far. Really great coffee with distinct differences in each roast. It's some of the best coffee I've had. And trust me, I've had a lot. The next time you're looking for coffee, check out Seattle-based Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. You can find out more and get their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners get a 20% discount on their order with the code Alfred Studio when purchasing their coffee. Jepeth Menes is an artist and musician who lives in New York City. From 2012 to 2018, he was a member of the experimental rock group Dead Painters. He received his MFA from the Cranbrook Academy of Art and his BFA from the Kansas City Art Institute. He has a current solo exhibition at Amperstand Gallery in Portland, which opened August 7th, and he has an upcoming three-person show at Stockton University Art Gallery in 2022. I spoke to JPeth about making music, the art band balance, the Midwest, laundry and mailboxes, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think when I first started doing Well, you're a singer, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done any in a, in a long time or a couple of years, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I, I used to play music and um, sing and play guitar and stuff like that. But I kind of stopped like two years ago. So it's hard for me to Wait, do, so do the, both. Are the, the dead painters are dead? Dead painters, RIP. Yeah, no more. Oh, boy. <laughs> Was that, I was listening to it. It sounds good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I did that for about five years, um, and I had a, I was making a lot of art before then, and then I, I, I sort of stopped and went on this hiatus and did music for five years and didn't make that much art at all. And then I just started, um, and, and that sort of ended. Everyone started having babies in the band, so it came to a natural sort of progression for it to stop. That nothing, nothing will test the metal of the <laughs> band more than, <laughs> than family life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to do both. Do you, pl- you play music too, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but I'm well. I used to be in bands. Yeah, same thing. Like so, <laughs> I went to grad school, and I avoided Chicago because I had a choice, <laughs> because all my friends were there playing music, and yeah, I was like, if same. I go to grad school where there's band possibilities, I'm never gonna make work. Yeah, or I won't make as much as I should for paying for grad school. You know. Yeah. So I went not to Chicago, and I end up meeting people and starting a band and touring. <laughs> oh really? Fired. Oh great. Yeah. That's awesome. But um, yeah, it was great. But yeah, when we when I moved to New York and well, when we all moved to New York City, uh, it just became too hard over time to to have like the art thing going and then everyone's busy doing this and that. It just becomes difficult. Yeah, yeah, I find that 
I don't know. Just for me, it's one thing or the other. I find that I'm, when I'm walking around the city, I either think of lyrics or song ideas or I think about ideas for paintings and not, it's hard to switch brains and to have both kind yeah. of like receptors of your brain be open to that. That's so, true. Yeah. I haven't really, I haven't really picked up my instruments much in the past uh, two years. Well, we were instrumental. So oh, okay. helped out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to confuse the yeah. the lyric brain with the the uh, image brain. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been in bands like that before, like where I was the person where I could just sort of show up and just sort of make stuff up there, and that worked out pretty well for making art. I did that in Chicago so, for a while too. That's fun, right? Yeah, when you can just kind of like slide in, do something, and yeah, the pressure's off. Yeah, you don't <laughs> have to be the the ringleader. The whole the the worst, I think. Well, I don't know. It'd be interesting to get your take on this but the worst for me was like organizing the practices yeah and someone's late or someone can't do that day and yeah. it was just you know that's why i was drawn to art for a long time before um i guess simultaneously like when i got out of high school i was drawn to art and music but i always found it kind of frustrating to to wrangle everyone together or be a part of that just this conflicting schedules and different levels of ambition and what people wanted to do and spend their time with so it just seemed easier to make art at that time yeah, you can just crawl into your cave by yourself. <laughs> yeah, just do it yourself. Do it. Yeah. You don't have to wait for anyone else, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that became a real, you know, especially, you know, being in a band where we're recording and touring and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and it gets complicated. And then on the flip side of that is when you're in grad school, you just go to the studio. It's two blocks away. You can mm -hmm. make art all you want. You really start to see the value of, like, setting your own schedule, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, what was the uh, the music like that you were playing? You said it was instrumental, and you guys were playing here in New York City. Yeah, yeah. We when we started in New Haven, we were there for a year, and then when we graduated, we moved down to the city. Uh -huh. And I think we made it like a couple years before it kind of people went their separate ways and did different things. Yeah, but it was like post rock, I guess you would call it. But yeah. we had a cello player, so that meant that we were playing gigs with like Dirty Three and, Ooh, awesome. you know, like bands like that. It was kind of like that vibe. Oh, wow. I just put two and two together that the guy, the, the violin guy from Dirty Three was in, is in, is the Nick Cave band. I didn't know that. I don't know why I never figured that out until recently. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, is it Warren? Warren Ellis, I think the guy. I could be mistaken. I don't know. I could be messing this up too. I have, mm. you know how there's, there's sort of seminal musicians that you just know and a few of them you just you miss it uh -huh. like nick cave was one of those yeah like it's not like i listened to nick cave and didn't like it it's not like i listened to a lot of it he just kind of flew under the radar and i remember the wire being a really big band for a lot of people yeah i just never really listened to them yeah and they might be amazing but <laughs> you know it's it was like minor them. threat whenever i was younger or something else you know yeah i mean that's what's great about art and music it's just there it's there waiting for you for you to check it out when you're whenever you're ready to yeah, do. I mean, I, I come to a lot of things late. I feel like than than other people, um, other people do, or I hear about things and I never pay attention to them until later, and then I realize that's what everyone was talking about, and that's why it was great. Sometimes that's more fun when you like find something from the '70s or the '60s, and you yeah. just never heard it before, and you know, like, oh my god, that's it, like seeing it in a different context. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of nice. Yeah. Well, so all right, let's go back. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Illinois and then um, uh, grew up in Illinois and then Missouri and then uh, went to high school basically in Missouri 
And then um, I started studying art at a, um, I went to a community college where my mom worked. Um, I was mostly interested in playing music at that time, but I started taking art classes and I really liked it. So um, I was there for a little while and then I went to Chicago to go to the Art Institute there, but that was just one semester. It didn't really, uh, it didn't feel right to me. So um, the next semester in the spring, I went to Kansas City and went to the Kansas City Art Institute. And then after that, I moved back to Chicago and lived there for a little while and applied to grad school and then went to Cranbrook in Michigan. And then after that, I went back to Chicago for four or five years. And then um, I just decided I had lived all over the Midwest and wanted to try something different. So I came to New York City and that was about 13 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was it about that first semester that didn't stick? I think it was a great school. I just don't, I think that I wanted more of a college campus kind of environment and the Art Institute right. was just a bunch of buildings spread apart uh, in downtown. And um, I just think that uh, I was sort of considering either Kansas City or Chicago at the, uh, when I was living in St. Louis trying to figure out where I wanted to go. But uh, I think that Chicago was just sort of the more, you know, world renowned school and people told me to go there. So I went there and um, I don't know. I just think Kansas City appealed to me more it was also there was hard to get studio space in Chicago as a transfer student, as a young student. So, um, you know, I was just sort of like lugging my stuff around from building to building. And I just kind of wanted a place to work and to experiment and make a mess. So that was kind of the um, I'm not sure if it's still this way, but that's kind of what uh, Kansas City sort of offers and advertises is a lot of studio space for students. So, um, I think Yeah, was that near your home base? No, no, I, I uh, went to high school outside of St. Louis. So on the other side of the state. Uh, oh, okay. On the east side, but um, I think I, I would have liked Chicago. It's a, it's a great city, and I, I miss it a lot. And it's one of my favorite cities. And I think this—I would have really loved the school. I think if I would have stayed there, but um, I think I was just a little restless and and wanted to bounce around a little too much, maybe as well. Well, it drew you back in. It sounds like a couple um, times, right? Yeah, just mostly friends. Like a, a lot of people I knew from um, the music days moved to Chicago and lived there. And um, and uh, when I was at Cranbrook and leaving, I thought m- most of my friends, or not most, I thought a lot more people would move there, move to Chicago and, and make art. But um, people kind of went either back to their hometowns or to New York City or Los Angeles or something like that. And then um, not that many people that I knew from grad school in Michigan came to Chicago, but um, it was just kind of a home base for me at that point. A lot of, a lot of my yeah. friends, people I knew were living in Chicago and, um, and, uh, and I liked it and I still, I miss it a lot. It's a great city. Um, I love all that music, Definitely. that music too, and all that. You mentioned post-rock, all that stuff is, it's kind of like my bread and butter and it's what I was sort of, you know, reared on, I think. Yeah. Mm. So what, uh, when did you, were you playing music there in earnest, like from the jump or oh, a little bit, was it in like a band or were you kind of mo- like you yeah. said, you were moving around a little bit. I wasn't, too, I right? was never the guy that like wrote songs or the person that wrote songs in, in any of those bands. I was in Chicago. There was, there was one band I was in called low skies that I, I played with on the first record and, and they did okay. They did pretty well. Um, but I just was a guitar player in that band. And then there was another couple bands I was in. There was just sort of like, uh, everyone kind of shows up and messes around and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, but um, yeah, I didn't really start writing song songs until um, I was in New York after a long time and stopped making art and stopped making and started making music and uh, I was doing that. Um, I'd never done that before. Never tried writing a song song before, but um, that was new in New York, not really Chicago. Right. So what what year are we talking about when you're playing music in Chicago? Uh, early two thousands, I guess. Um, that Low Skies band was around two thousand two. 
And then um, after grad school, that was like 2004 and five. Um, so we're talking like peak Chicago. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I'd, I mean, it's yeah. firing. <laughs> there were so many bands that were just like kind of established at that point. So like, I'd, you know, they weren't bands that I would see at the at the Rainbow Bar or anything like that. But like so many record labels and so many bands at that time that were um, just, you know, legendary to us. Um, yeah. So, I mean, some interaction, you see some people walking around and, and uh, of course, like everyone was approachable. You could talk to them at shows and stuff like that. But um, those guys are all a little bit older um, than I was. So um, when I think about that kind of stuff, um, like Sam Precop, we had him on the show. Yeah. Um, he's one of my favorites. I love his work. I mean, I love his photography and his painting and his music and everything. Yeah, the whole thing, right? Yeah, he's, it's great. He, he does a lot of different stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, that's when we we recorded in Chicago, our second record in 2000. And, you know, it felt like it was really, you know, just there's a really nice feeling of like all these musicians and you felt like there was a lot of really good stuff being made at the time. Like uh-huh. there was an energy behind it. Yeah. But to your point, it was very like blue collar and everyone's kind of cool about it. Like it's laid back, you know, it's not, I don't know, it, did, it didn't feel um, too hierarchical or something. It just felt like everyone's just there making music and so yeah. many people were moving around and playing different things and you know yeah what was the band called that you were in we were called 33.3 uh-huh. and um speaking of that where you'd bump into people we did our lot we played our after we released the record or after we finished recording it we did like a a gig in we played a couple gigs but we played a gig in a loft Mm-hmm. A friend's loft and like, you know, Doug McCombs and Jeff Parker and like a different people were like show up, just randomly show up there to check it out. Yeah. It was just like a hangout vibe, you know, it was like a, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I was just at a wedding, not just maybe this is like three years ago and my friend got married. And he got a um, broke back. You know, that band. Broke oh, yeah. Back. He got them. It's one of my favorite bands. <laughs> he got them to play the wedding and they they played a couple different versions of songs that that they had written that were on CD that, you know, that were recordings that people knew and stuff that were uh they incorporate into like the processional and stuff like that. So that was amazing. That's really cool. And you, I guess you yeah, that's like <laughs> great music for that. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. Not yeah. your garden variety wedding band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's so cinematic. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Yeah. It, for, I always feel like when when listening to them, you're like, you can imagine the the you know the motion picture, the the images that are uh-huh. flying around. Yeah. Where did you guys? You said you recorded in Chicago. Was that a at a studio there? It was at Electrical. Oh, great. Well, yeah, awesome. Bob Weston did it, oh, who cool. was, you know, a friend of the the cellist in our band. And yeah. I mean, a great guy to work with. Yeah. Um, I was at a, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going <laughs> to say, coincidentally, learned a lot about analog recording and microphones oh, yeah. and all that from Steve, you know. Oh, that must have been amazing. Yeah, it was intimidating. I mean, we were pretty young at that point, you know. Yeah. I bet the recording because sounds great. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, they <laughs> captured what we sounded like, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, that's the goal of that 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 team, that, stu- that studio, yeah. right? I was a waiter in Chicago for a while, and I, I had a pizza place, and I'm, he came in a couple times, and I remember serving him pizza. He seemed like a nice guy, and I took. A, I remember I took a, a tour of the studio. It was really cool. Did you guys play yeah, in like that, like that, that downward-looking chamber, or like the the horizontal? We one? did the one that that's kind of like the drum room. It's it looks like a mini chapel or something. Yeah. Like the space is really tall because yeah. they wanted that kind of, you know, organic. 
And we played that record live. Uh-huh. And we did, you know, a couple overdubs, but it was it was pretty live. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um Yeah, it's cool that you can yeah, like you said everyone's really approachable there and um all the musicians and um yeah, there's a rich history of that and also like apartment galleries things like yeah, that in Chicago. Definitely. A lot of that kind of stuff too. House shows. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got that feel of like, I don't know, it didn't feel too grand. It just felt like it was about the music and art. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was a lot of like tie-in, you know, like Archer and all of what he drew and like, you mm-hmm. know, Chris Ware was making those great comics and yeah. it just seemed like there was a real tie between, you know, a lot of the, the music and, and visuals. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I met Sam Precop a couple of times, but I think I was kind of like a nerdy fanboy. When I when I met him, <laughs> and I probably embarrassed myself. But. <laughs> We've all done that, right? <laughs> Did you? Uh, I mean, meeting Steve was a little intimidating, yeah, you know. Yeah. But he was just so straightforward, yeah. You know that it kind of like makes it less intimidating. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're great. I remember when I was in Missouri, they played the uh, shellac played a show in um, Columbia in the middle of the state at like ten in the morning in a park somewhere and they served uh, <laughs> waf- they served That's waffles. So funny. I, yeah. It was a, that was the thing at the time. I think that was like the, the Fugazi thing too. Like don't play in bars. Let's play in weird spaces. And the morning show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were all very tired. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's cool. a rude awakening volume wise. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Was that the loudest show you've ever seen? What was the loudest live show you've ever seen? Uh, it was in Chicago and it was Mogwai probably. Of oh really? Guys. They were yeah. They are supposed to be loud, incredibly huh? loud. And I think they did something weird, like left the stage with just feedback, just like put their sure, instruments why not? down and just <laughs> left, left the stage. <laughs> I definitely lost some hearing at that show. I have permanent hearing damage for sure. I think. Isn't yeah. it funny when you can like locate it to it? Like I saw my bloody my bloody Valentine, oh, yeah. and it was. Yeah. I mean, it made me nauseous. It was so loud. Yeah. Was that recently, <laughs> or did you? Did no, no. This was back in way back. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Wow. Like back in the day. Wow. University of Pittsburgh at some like, I don't know, it was like an auditorium sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. I've heard. But man, was it loud. I've heard that they're loud. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That and Oval was really loud too, but in a different way. Yeah. Because uh, he was, you know, it's just his laptop and he was flooding the speaker. I think he was just trying to break the system or something. Yeah. Yeah. I wear earplugs now. So when I go to shows and so I know better, I don't want to. I don't want to lose any more of that good stuff. I know. Yeah. If only we'd have known <laughs> then what we know now. Yeah, yeah. It's also proximity. I mean, I think that like I, I was at a Sebado show and I definitely lost some hearing in the left ear because I was really close to a speaker. That'll and, do it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. if you're going to give it up, I mean, those are pretty good bands to give it up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's forever tattooed into my eardrums. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this sort of you know, going back to those days of, of playing music, mm-hmm. it sounds like when you describe it, the music, it's like it's one or the other, like it's yeah. taking precedent. Yeah, yeah. So what was painting doing or what was school doing when you were really focused on music? Like what were you working on? How were you thinking about it? You know, what did it mean to you? Or like how were you fitting it into your routine? Uh, I think I was just more casual and improvisational with it. I think it just... Um, 
I think I was able to do that more, maybe juggle school and making music. I think music was always kind of on the back burner when I was in school and then in graduate school and then out of graduate school for, you know, for 10 years after that. And then um, it, music was kind of just in the back burner, I think, because I had friends who were musicians who were really serious about it. And I could see that the, the devotion that they had for it and the time that they put in. And I definitely wasn't doing that at the time. So, so, um, Cranbrook is a, is kind of like Nick Cave for me. Oh yeah, like yeah. I just don't know it that well. I don't know. I mean, oh, I, I thought you meant Nick Cave, the, ar- <laughs> the artist. Oh but, no, <laughs> yeah, because he went there. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. That's a funny parallel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that Nick Cave, the other Nick Cave. Yeah. Um, but no, it's kind of like one of those schools that I don't, I haven't been there. I don't really know that much about it, except it sounds like a good program. And I know some yeah. people went there and loved it. But how was it for you? It was beautiful. I loved it. It was great. I did love it. It was great. Yeah. Um, it's just like an architectural utopia there. Like this school is, is one of the most beautiful places. And everything is, yeah. you know, everything is designed, like every tree and shrub. It's sort of next to a wilderness. There's a little forest area. I mean, it's not really wilderness, but everything is sort of like mapped out and planned right down to the to the trees and uh, the buildings are beautiful and it has a nice rich history. And um, I think it's hard. It can be hard if you don't, because you have basically have one teacher there, sort of like a mentor in each department. And I think it can be hard if you don't like your teacher, or if you don't get along with your teacher, you don't have a, have a lot of other options. Um, All your eggs are in one faculty basket. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of crucial if you have to really sort of identify with them, I think. And I mean, but you have the students, you know, it's as much about the students as it is a teacher. And then there's, a, you can sort of like, uh, you know, shoes sh- around in other departments and get to know other people and stuff like that. So it does have like this interdisciplinary vibe to it, even though the departments are all, you know, pretty separate and what you study. Yeah. But, um, right. Yeah. And, uh, what's your work like at that point? Oh, um, kind of all over the place. Um, I think that at the time I was, um, really concerned about, um, kind of like being, I don't know, like avant-garde materially and using some weird Mm -hmm. freaky materials and uh, into artists that were using stuff like, um, like the Tom, that was kind of like time Tom Friedman was doing really cool things and, um, his work, Tara Donovan, um, Sarah Z. And, um, I was into that stuff and I think that I was really concerned about trying to do something, um, super, super unique. And I think that as a result, it was, I think pretty wild and kind of all over the place. And, um, was it sculptural? Yeah, some, a lot paint? of it was. Yes, I mean some like mostly drawing, like work on paper and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. I was working on some things with motors and drawing machines and um, incorporating some like musical equipment. Well, that was part of it too. Was like incorporating musical equipment and strings and you know little machines plucking things like that kind of stuff. Um, or but a lot of it was yeah, centered on paper. I studied painting, but I didn't really um, make any. I haven't made any, didn't make any paintings. Like I've never really made paintings as like a serious art until recently. So, um, back then it was mostly work on paper and, and trying to find weird, you know, things to draw with and make sculptures out of, um, a lot of art supplies from office depot kind of thing. I will, uh, I'm going to roll the dice on this as a total guess, Yeah. but I'm going to say that I might be able to do a small world, blow your mind kind of thing, but maybe not. (laughs) So I should probably not set it up this grandiose. Um, Are you familiar with or were um, aware of the artist Jeremy Boyle? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, Pittsburgh guy. One of my best friends from high school. Oh, awesome. 
Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Small world, right? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Love that band, Joan of Arc. My band in St. Louis opened for them, I think, when they came through St. Louis. And I think Jeremy played that show, too. Yeah. Um, and they were they were really nice guys. And I love that band, too. Yeah, they were great. Like, oh, so good. Speaking of um, avant-garde and like stuff that nothing else sounds like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no one sounds <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. They were truly original. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about like um, the sea and cake too. Cause nobody really sounds like that band. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love it when you can actually, I remember hearing uh shrimp boat when I was really like that band, yeah. which was, you know, the precursor yeah. and it was just so weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and but yeah, I love, I love that kind of phenomenon of, of just, I mean, it helps if you have a vocalist who has like one of those voices that's uh-huh. just so distinct. Yeah. And I yeah. think both Tim and Sam have that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But the music followed suit. Yeah. You know, it was different. Yeah. What's he up to now? He's making art, right? Is he teaching or? I haven't talked to Jeremy in a no. while, but the last I knew he was in, I believe he was in Chicago or in that area. He moved back to Pittsburgh for a little while. Uh-huh. But for those who don't know, Jeremy Boyle yeah. is a artist who makes sculptural work and he uses motors and connect. Well, he does a lot of different stuff, yeah. but people would know the work that he did where he created like guitars that would play their own strings and you know he could he made like a band yeah. with just robotic levers and stuff playing the music mm-hmm. and pretty cool stuff i remember a, a video that i saw that was just like the back of his head that mm-hmm. like rotated around and i think that he was in some, some kind of soul chair it was very simple but like really oh no no it was a it was a video of the back of his head and then the tv was on a stand and the tv rotated or something like that and you got to see his head circle around it was bizarre but amazing oh, that's cool <laughs> that's some like bruce nauman tangential stuff yeah yeah <laughs> sounds pretty cool yeah he's great yeah he his part of that band was awesome and that was uh, yeah, around that time like the live in chicago or live in chicago that record yeah um 1999 that was that was great stuff was that the one with the godard remake cover art <laughs> is that what it was? It was like the pa- yeah, it was yeah. like all scenes from uh, Weekend. Oh, okay. But it was all like cutouts and stuff. Oh, that was over my head at the time. I believe that's yeah. what it's for. I don't this yeah. this era of we're really testing my memory, <laughs> my my really bad memory at this point yeah. of like, you know, there's just bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Pittsburgh. I've only been there once, but I liked it. It was a cool town. Yeah, it's got, you know, it's it's like Chicago in a way. It's provincial, it's smaller, less stuff going on, but yeah. there's culture, there's yeah. museums and Yeah. Actually, Jeremy did speaking of him, he did a really cool installation at the Mattress Factory, and I don't know if you've ever heard of that Is museum, that in but it's in Minneapolis? It's in No, it's in Pittsburgh, oh, it's in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh, it's yeah. um it's kind of like a small installation art um, museum. But when I say museum, it's like a brownstone, basically, that's a little bigger. Mm-hmm. But there's a Kusama Infinity Room in there and James Terrell permanent pieces oh, wow. and lots of really cool stuff. It's yeah. like a weird, quirky, great place, you know. But yeah. you have the Carnegie Museum and yeah, yeah. the Warhol and stuff. So. Yeah. I think when I was visiting there, it was maybe like five years ago and it, there was a Carnegie International show was there. Nice. That was, that's a great show. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get a Permani sandwich while you were there? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Have you heard of no, it? No, no. What the is one that? where they, it's like a big sandwich where they put the French fries and the coleslaw on the sandwich. It's like super famous there. Oh, okay. That sounds it's great. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. That sounds great. I had some, some gross sandwiches in Philly on that trip, but not in, <laughs> <laughs> not, not in uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. I'm not a Philly sandwich guy. Yeah. 
the cheesesteak the, thing never did it for me. It's the cheese whiz. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So post Cranbrook, and then you went back to Chicago? Went back to Chicago. It was just kind of what I knew. My girlfriend at the time was living there, and a lot of my friends were living there. And um, and um, I worked at the uh, the Renaissance Society doing art handling there. And that was that was nice. a, that was a great experience. And that's where I met a lot of Chicago people there, a lot of Chicago artists, because I feel like at that age, I think I've, a lot of people knew each other just from grad school and school around Chicago. And since I didn't really go to school there, I felt a bit like an outsider. But um, at the Ren, I met some really great people, and um, I felt like I kind of was able to plug in that way a little bit to the to the art yeah. people there, because most of my friends at, the, at that time coming into it were musicians. And yeah. are, at this point, are you working pretty? Are you focused and making a lot of work? Are you? Yep, making a lot of work. Um, I guess. I guess just before the pandemic, maybe like half a year or so ago, I started painting and um, and then the pandemic hit. And that was a great time just to sort of like hang out and be by myself and make tons of paintings. So um, um, I have a show opening August 7th in Portland at the um, uh, Ampersand Gallery. And I just um, sent the paintings out for for that show. So it's going to be on one wall. It's a, a row of these paintings of washing machines. And then on the other side, it's going to be um, paintings of uh, apartment mailboxes um, from around here. Yeah, let's let's get into the uh, the subject matter here. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, 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 for me, the question, the real question in my mind is like the chicken and the, or the egg thing, because when you're in New York mm-hmm. and you're you know in a, especially like in Brooklyn or Queens and you're just around the neighborhood, yeah you know, laundromats. Yeah. They're just a thing. Like yeah. they have this look, they're really interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and the same thing with the mailbox sort of thing, that's the sort of geometry and the, yeah, you know, the abstract element to it. Uh-huh. It's like, did, did you get, I mean, were you kind of looking at things in that way before that? Yeah. Or did they open up a new window of like, Oh wow. Like this, there's something formal, yeah. formally interesting here that yeah. I can kind of work yeah. with. I think that um, while I was on this sort of like art hiatus for a while and still playing music, I was still taking um, like photographs with my, my camera. I, I bought this little 35 millimeter camera and um, and I was like inspired by Sam Precop and some like street photographers like Stephen Shore, Eggleston, these sort of like color photographers. And yeah. so I was kind of doing that the whole time because that was a really sort of like time-wise economical sort of thing to, to, to use um, just to sort of keep with me or whenever I traveled or something like that. So um, for a few years, I was walking around the neighborhood and I started taking pictures of that kind of stuff. And then I, I think the first thing that I, came to me was the washing machine. I remember seeing it. And um, just to sort of describe it to the listener, it's sort of like a, um, the washing machine paintings are, they're sort of like replications in a way of the illustrations that are on the awnings. Um, cause in Queens, everyone has these awnings and everyone has this sort of different way that they render the washing machine. And I think I was struck by just how beautifully form, you know, formally beautiful it was. And, um, I just started, decided to start painting it myself. Um, and then, uh, what came next? Um, and then the sort of like, yeah, the apartment mailboxes, the same kind of thing. Like they thought that they were somewhat abstract, but also had, had a nice sort of, um, you know, just sort of, I, I think I'm interested in that, just things that are sort of barely representational. And, right. and then I started paying other things like intercoms and, um, you know, it was like a, a, a glass maker, uh, in the area that has awning of images of windows and glass and stuff like that. So, 
Um, that's kind of where that started was like a little bit of photography and like street photography. And then from there, just translating that some of those ready made like abstractions that are out there in, in the neighborhoods and stuff. Yeah, those awnings are so interesting because whenever I look at those, they're always like kind of amazing uh-huh. graphically, yeah. like the way they're laid out. Or, yeah. And then I always think there's people who actually draw these things out. Are they just making them minimal and sort of designy, like compelling on purpose? Or are they yeah. just, or is it just limited ability and they're just, <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you can't really tell if they're just making it simple because they can't really yeah. make anything complicated or yeah. if they're just really trying to pare it down and yeah. make it this nice designed element mm-hmm. or something. I think that, uh, yeah, maybe it's sort of like outsider art. There's like a purity in it yeah. a little bit. Um, and that's what I think that's what is partially appealing to it. I mean, sometimes they use like clip art and you can tell it's like really right. bad clip art. And it's not so interesting. Um, it looks like something that came out of like Microsoft Word or something like that. But um, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, those things are beautiful. And in Chicago, I'm mean, going back to Chicago. Like I, they have those people. I don't know if they do it as much here anymore, but do you remember like the, the, the sort of like fluorescent posted board things in grocery stores? They do yeah. this sort of like wavy thing with the text and stuff right, like right. that. That kind of thing too. Like those are amazing, right? Now, do you think, I mean, some of your paintings are kind of sculptural in nature because you'll shape the canvas mm-hmm. or you'll play with the form of it yeah. and you have like, you know, a past of playing with three dimensions. Is mm-hmm. that something that, you know, I, I don't think I've seen enough of your work in person to know. I don't, maybe you're already doing that, but yeah. do you, are you ever bringing these things further out in, into three dimensions or is it pretty much the conversation of painting? I think I, yeah. Um, right now it's just painting. Like I, I don't really have any plans for sculpture right now. And it, I think I'm just kind of jamming on painting now because I never really, um, like I mentioned before, I never really considered, never used it as like a, a primary form of expression. It was always just something that was lurking around or on the back burner of, of ideas. And I was mostly doing drawing and stuff like that. So when I started making these paintings, I think I just realized what all the fuss was about, how you can sort of like, um, you know, mix color in this hyper attuned way and, and then the simplicity of just stretching a canvas. Um, so I think I'm, I'm just really enjoying that right now. And I started making these shapes just because the, um, it just seemed kind of silly, uh, and that image kind of called for it and I liked it. And, um, I don't know, like it just, it also seemed kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of corny in a way, but I'm enjoying it. Like, the shaped canvas thing. Um, yeah, it's fun. It, there's a little bit of folk, a little bit of kind of a dialogue with minimalist abstraction, yeah. you know, yeah. from, you know, the, the 60s and 70s. And Certainly, yeah. There's humor a little bit. It's all just, the, I think the nice thing about it is uh, when looking at the image, you don't know exactly where the artist is sitting Yeah. as far as, you know, the feelings of it. Yeah. Is it just a love of the graphic sensibility of it or the sort of reductive quality of the playing with abstraction? Uh Is it a tongue in cheek kind of way of like using formal elements and realistic things to just play with an abstract pattern on the canvas? You know, it's kind of nice because you don't know exactly where the artist lands on it. Yeah. And I think that ambiguity serves the paintings. Yeah. I think that, I don't know if this, uh, this correlates, but like, I think that I'm attracted to that kind of stuff. Like, um, the idea of like uh, removing myself a little bit from the artwork and interested in art that's not necessarily about this like direct form of expression a little bit where, I don't know, I think I just want to make art that's not 
necessarily about me or autobiographical in any way. And maybe that can relate to a little bit. Um, sort of like, um, like I think about it in the way that like going back to Nick Cave or um, Smog or somebody like that, that doesn't really, a lot of their songs are not autobiographical. They're sometimes they're about other people. So um, I think also maybe um, using the found imagery or using so somebody else's design or riffing off of that in a way, maybe it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah, I think it, it seems in line with it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. I think it's a because I have that in my work. Like I always say that I'm more interested in talking about the world around us than me. Yeah. Or like personal things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I've always felt that resonates with Andy Warhol. Yeah. Because he was always about, well, I'm not interesting. Everyone else is, and I'll just I'm a mirror to the world, sort of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. all these other people are really interesting, not me. Yeah. But really, he's the most interesting person. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's. He's the one is the most interesting, but he's just sort of reflecting. Yeah. Yours seem more more Hollyan in the sense of like there is much of the much more of a removal and in the sense that they whereas his seemed like they could just be produced by machine, mm -hmm. you know, and they were there wasn't the hand in it. Yours almost feel like like the object in a way. Yeah. Like it's coming closer to the object itself. Yeah. I try to make everything at sort of like a one-to-one -one scale. So the washing machines are one-to-one -one of the um, of the actual illustration on the on the awnings kind of thing. Yeah. And I, at first I was painting them at 22 inches tall and I thought like, I've made a bunch of them and I thought maybe they're too small. And then I actually went out and measured my favorite one and I realized it was exactly 22 inches. So I got pretty close to that one. But uh, the other things like the intercoms or the mailboxes, I try to make it all one-to-one. -one. And maybe that's where I'm, the three-dimensional thing is coming into, just sort of taking another step further of like getting closer to the object. Yeah. And but I think it is interesting. I think it is interesting that it is two-dimension, too. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you know the artist Kaz Oshihiro. He's the Japanese artist from L.A. who... Mm -mm. He'll, he'll like make a sculptural trash can, but it's made up of canvases. And he's done martial amps and... Oh. You know, cool. but they, they look like real objects, but yeah. they're actually canvases just put together sculpturally to create it yeah. and they're painted. Yeah. So it's 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 more trompe l'oeil mm -hmm. in a three dimension. Yeah. Whereas yours I think are just you know, it's for me it's really about playing with abstraction, yeah. the language of abstraction. Yeah. yeah. And making a picture just with these sort of real things, you yeah. know. Yeah. And I think the handmade thing is important to me. I try I mean that's I think that this is these recent paintings are kind of a, a, it was a revelation for me, I think, to, to figure out that um, it was okay to, to get really sort of like, um, I don't know, fussy or anal about things and try to be really precise, but still hand painted. That's still important to me. Like I love my favorite Warhol works are the ones that are like those soup cans that are, you know, more or less hand painted. They're not screen printed. That's before yeah. we did the screen printed stuff though. Those are beautiful. Oh yeah. The, the paint by numbers ones, which ironically, <laughs> are about you know being ready-mades yeah but the way he did it they were some of the most expressive warhols there are yeah you know? yeah i mean other than like the piss paintings yeah and, you know and then i don't know if you did you go to the museum when you were there i didn't have a chance to no sadly there's no. a there's a great room of early work it's like the typewriter and you actually see his pencil sketch of the image and then he doesn't paint the whole thing in yeah so there's a real rawness to it, yeah. you know, and then there's the one with like nose job one. And then there's the one with yeah. the dance steps, but they're not screen printed. They're, they're pretty loose for him. Yeah. But and you can really see it. Yeah. But then if you see his drawings, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, 
He's like, a master of the line oh and drawing. God, yeah. and that guy can you draw. almost feel ripped off that he was like screen printing all those years because <laughs> his, his line work was so beautiful, you know? Amazing. Yeah. He's the piece. Yeah. Those drawings are some of the best, most amazing drawings. Yeah. yeah one of the most um, impactful shows I've seen in a while, although at this point it's probably been a while ago, I think was at Anton Kern, but they had a, a, just a show of Warhol drawings and they were so nice. Mm-hmm. Just like all the different materials and the line work is mm-hmm. like amazing. Early ones? Yeah, yeah. early. And um, pre, I mean, I think there were some of the ones where he does the, you know, the cartooning where he does like he dashes it and then imprints it yeah. with the vellum and then sort of like that becomes a drawing. But this was before they were mostly like pencil drawings and ink, I think. Yeah. So do you think that um, your sort of like interest in, in others, maybe that's maybe that's why you do the podcast? That's part of yeah, it. no, definitely. Yeah. I think um, it's the ability to be more personal in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it, it it gets me out of my own head. Because when I am in my studio, I'm kind of in my own head. Yeah. And it's just like the me show of like, okay, I want to make these images. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think that worked for a while. But like after 12 or 13 years of just being alone in the studio yeah. and then having a kid, yeah. it was like, I, I felt like, oh, I got to get out in the world a little more. Yeah. <laughs> like I was yeah. perfectly fine yeah. not socializing and just yeah. working all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's my tendency too, as, as well, to be a bit like a hermit. But lately I've been getting a lot of like good ideas from just people around me and my peers and stuff like that. So. That's, I mean, just going back to the music versus art conversation, that's what I loved about making music was just the interaction, the collaboration is so much fun. But I also like the solitude of painting. But now I'm sort of thinking like, well, if you are, you know, you have your artist friends or people you talk to and uh, they give me some great ideas and we talk about our art and that, and that can be the form of collaboration in a way that, so it's not so much just you yourself and your studio. Definitely. In your own mind. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that Warhol did that too. <laughs> going back to Warhol, like uh Somebody told him, like, why don't you paint money? You love money. And that was an really important work for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was, he, his, he was always very open yeah. to listening and to letting other things in the work, you know? Yeah. Um, but I found, like, over the course of my career, like, I, there's a lot of Warholian things in there that I can relate to, although I think the work's totally different, of course, but there's sensibilities that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think it has nothing to do with. Pittsburgh, but I think that it just lined up. Mm-hmm. But like when you know, I when I stopped playing music, I was obviously still involved with musicians. I knew a bunch. Yeah. So when I started doing animation, I was able to like have them score things. Oh, so I was yeah. able to still find a way to collaborate, yeah. even though I wasn't doing it mm-hmm. like in earnest anymore. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think that's that's ways, I guess, you know, around it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, you know, talking to artists every week does something too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it scratches an itch. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if, uh, if Warhol was kind of, uh, looming over you growing up in, uh, Pittsburgh or if that was a part of your, your life. Yeah. I think I've always, it, it didn't loom over me in the studio, like when I'm working, but I think there was always a familiarity with the image mm-hmm. because I, you would always see Warhol yeah. like growing up, you know, and you, whereas I found friends in school who really questioned or disliked Warhol. Yeah. I was like, why, why would you, <laughs> he was just like, you know, 
It's kind of like a, a guy on your team, like Mario Lemieux or something, or, yeah. you know, like, and you're like, wow, why would someone else hate him? He's such a great guy. Like, yeah. it's so, he's so good. Yeah. But then you realize other people take a different angle on it, you know, just but he was thing. almost like a default to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Like, I love the Beatles, but I'm sick of the Beatles. I don't really need to hear the Beatles ever again kind of thing. Right. You've had your fail. I had, I had my fail, yeah. <laughs> And I'll give you another example too. Like when I moved to New- this pre-internet, when I moved to New York, I didn't know what to do. Uh-huh. Like what, what am I going to, you know? And I was like, oh, well, Andy Warhol did windows. Uh-huh. So I went to Macy's and I got a job doing windows. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just, I, it was almost like literally what would Andy Warhol do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Rauschenberg and John's too, right? Exactly. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, I tried, when I was in Kansas City, I, 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 got a job at the Gap, uh, and they told me I was going to do that. They were like, oh, you're going to do windows. And then I got there yeah. the first day, and then they just had me folding clothes. Folding shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so I only worked there for one night, I think. That's the draw. They're like, yeah, you'll be in here doing creative things in the windows. Yeah. And yeah. You're just washing dishes in the back. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could have worked up to that, but uh, yeah, it didn't happen, so I left right away. Yeah, the same thing when I, one of my first jobs was uh, washing dishes, you know, uh-huh. and I went in and my friend was like, you supply here, you can, you could be a host. <laughs> and I thought, oh, so cool. You just greet people and then show them the table. It's a pretty easy gig. Yeah. Sure enough, I'm back in the back with the burnout cooks, yep. like scrubbing dishes <laughs> all night long. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Never got the host gig. No, no. That's yeah. I think that was the first, first job I had was washing dishes for sure. Built character. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you humble for sure. Yeah. yeah for yeah. sure. And you get used to working with your hands until, you know, you feel like they're going to fall off. Right. Which is <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, qu- another question about your work I didn't want to forget about is you, s- you said that you were taking a lot of photos and in mm-hmm. a way that was like you sort of uh, maybe unconsciously or subconsciously, you know, finding different images and inspiration. Mm-hmm. For you, is that a way of drawing or do you actually make works on paper in preparation for the paintings that you do? Like, what's your process? Is it oh, straight yeah, yeah. to painting? Uh, it depends. I feel like if I if I am taking a big risk with something, then I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I'll make a little sketch with, um, with paint just on a piece of paper or I'll use the computer. I'll try to be open about it, not be too uh, one way or the other. But sometimes I'll just uh, start doing it and make the painting and then sometimes the painting doesn't work out and I have to scrap it, but I know what to do. So I have to want to, I just essentially remake the painting because I want the, um, you know, if you see them in person, they're very thin and I want them to to stay that way and to not have much paint buildup. So um, once it gets to a certain point, I sometimes I have to trash the painting and I end up with a lot of work that doesn't make it out of the studio and gets thrown away. And um, so different, different ways. But uh, yeah, I think that sometimes you just have to do it and see how the colors work out and, uh, and just, uh, uh, it's also more exciting just to like sometimes to not make a sketch or to not do right. something on the computer design wise and just sort of like go for it and see what yeah. happens. But I think as a result, sometimes I'll end up that, that I'll have to sort of throw that painting away and then do another one because I'll, then I'll know what exactly what I want to do with the, with the new one. Um, how about you? Do you ever have work that just sort of fails or does, just completely falls apart where you have, <laughs> you just have to scrap the canvas? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, not too, too often. Yeah. Because I think I've, well, A, after doing it for a long time, I think I've gotten a little better at, it kind of like before the painting starts, 
of, of saying, you know what, this one's probably not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it, I don't know if it would or wouldn't, but I just don't have that gut feeling that like that this needs to be, yeah. you know, painted on the scale or whatever. Yeah. So I think I've gotten a little better at pre-editing in a way, almost like a filmmaker will just like, you know, not take an extra scene or something just like, you know what, right. I don't think we need that one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, there's ones that, that don't make it. Yeah. And what happens is I know because like halfway through, I just lose. It's almost like a car that runs out of gasoline, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, I can't yeah. actually, I have one right. You have to have one right down to a small one. I'm not in my studio. I'm in my office, but yeah. sometimes I make small work here. Oh, cool. And I have oh. one that just, it died on the, on the, on the operating tree. table. Yeah. Or on the yeah, tree. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's, I don't think this one's savable. Yeah. But you, I'm looking at it a lot and it's, you know, making me sad, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's not going to make it. Yeah. I think sometimes for, for me, I think that uh, like with the washing machine paintings, I thought before I did it, I thought um, before I did anything, I thought either this is going to this is a really stupid idea and it's going to be really dumb or it could be kind of interesting. Um, and I feel like I usually when I have a feeling like that, that's when I feel like I should do it. Right. Yeah. When I when I when I have the thought that like this could be really, really stupid. But I'm gonna Green do, light. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. Um, but I bet, yeah, probably having kids makes you, um, cheap, you know, sort of like edit more, I suppose. You know, oh, you yeah. Really, you, can, you, you need to get down to business when you're in the studio. And oh, for sure. You can't fuss around too much. Those right. early days, I was just, you know, my wife was off at work all day and I would just work every day, you know. Right. I didn't really go out much. And I would, yeah. you know, you had all the time in the world to like, fiddle around or try things out you know yeah and honestly yeah as you get you know a little older and maybe you know you have a little less time because of other things you really want to make that time valuable but the thing that's to your point of like kind of like you know performing without any pants on once in a while just going in the studio and not having to plan and just going at it is exciting and it's kind of invigorating yeah because these days it's so easy to know, like on the computer, I can make the image look exactly what it'll look like on canvas yeah. if I want. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's not very fun. No. Mm-hmm. But inherently when I, if ever I do sketch on the computer, it looks different. That's mm-hmm. just a sketch. Just like any other preparatory stage. Definitely. It's, for most people, I think there's, there's a transition between and that's why you do different versions of it. Yeah. It would be boring if it were the same thing, you know? Yeah. I paint in kind of this really stupid way where I kind of like lay down a whole, the whole sort of like base color. And then I build up from there, just establishing the relationships between the colors. Like I don't just paint one section blue. I'll paint the whole painting right. blue. And then the section I want to paint orange, I'll paint just orange on top of just that section. And then on top of that. So it's sort of like building it up topographically in a way. So I feel like I end up wasting a lot of paint, but in that way I can sort of like see the colors happen and right. a better way, I think for me. I was going to say, though, if you want to keep it super thin, yeah, you have to build up a little, right? Because if you're putting like the painting behind you where there's like an off-white on a blue, yeah, to make that opaque, right? I would imagine you have to put a few layers on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can, I, think, I find that airbrush works pretty well. I, mean, I don't use a lot of airbrush, but sometimes I'll put airbrush, I'll airbrush from white down. And then, um, oh, yeah. and that sort of like is, ends up being kind of thin, but blocks out the color underneath a little bit. Yeah, it does a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, for me, every time I try to use the airbrush, it's just the whole clogging the thing or cleaning <laughs> it that drives me crazy. It's frustrating. It's really, really, really Isn't it? Yeah. Because it, it's... It's really easy to just get it clogged. Yeah. 
some people know how to, I try to be really persistent about cleaning it too uh, and not letting it even sort of like get dry uh, while I'm using it and like keeping it sort of like uh, wet with water and stuff. But yeah, it always ends up getting clogged. And the, these people that use the airbrush, you know, like I know a couple artists that just use airbrushes and I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it without getting frustrated all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a time-based thing too, because it, I feel like there's so many times these days where my studio time is like choppy because of my family life schedule. It's not like I'm in there for like nine straight hours every day. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in the middle of something and something comes up mm-hmm. and you leave that airbrush, <laughs> you know, it's not going to be good when you get back to the studio. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you use foam brushes? No, I no. love when we get into. I love when we get into brush talk. Yeah, this is really. <laughs> I think new. it's going to be a new yeah. segment of the podcast. I love every it. Week brush talk. This is a sorry sculptors. Really nerdy stuff here. <laughs> yeah, getting into the weeds. Yeah, I use a no, not re- uh, just to gesso. I use a foam brush to gesso, and then I use just regular brush brushes for almost everything else, aside from the occasional airbrush, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, do you like that golden paint? Speaking of art talk but uh the flat the, the so flat yeah i do i mean i got some samples of it and it worked well yeah i to be honest i think for the most part i'll just use the re- i just used a regular yeah paint but it if i do want something flat it it works pretty well yeah i'm kind of uh uh they had this other paint called a, it was fl- uh flat um fluid Fluid matte. I'm sorry. Yeah, fluid matte paint. I think they yep. they, dis- mm-hmm. they discontinued that. I think. I think this is the new version of it. I guess. Yeah. They're very different, and I think there were things I liked about both of them. So I'm a little sad that they discontinued the other one. Shout out to the sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Golden talk. Yeah. But you know what I noticed about the so flat as opposed to the heavy body mm-hmm. is, I realized that I really like creating my consistency, mm-hmm. and that consistency is dependent on what I'm painting. So sometimes it's got to be more fluid. Sometimes I want it a little thicker. Yeah. Depends on the size. It depends on how I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So if I go with a fluid paint, mm-hmm. I don't want to sit there and add more medium to it. Yeah. So I kind of like to go with the heavy stuff and then cut it how I want to cut it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, um, I like it pretty fluid and overall. So I use a lot of the fluid stuff, but, uh, I think that they also, the fluid stuff has a higher pigment load maybe when you end up doing it that way. I'm not sure yeah. exactly, but, um, we gotta gotta get a golden specialist on the line. <laughs> they're great. Yeah, you can just call them and talk to them. They're really nice. I know. Yeah. They're responsive. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you, you know, I've been using acrylics now for probably twenty three, twenty four years, mm-hmm. and I'm still learning. I mean, you you can't know everything there is to know about right. it. You know. Yeah. And it's they're amazing. making they're making I mean, new stuff all the time too. Case in point. That's true. Yeah. They're, they're relentless. <laughs> <laughs> I got a tube, a gift tube from there uh, around Christmas time, and it's called Holiday Snow. <laughs> yeah, and what is that? And, and it's like white paint with like I don't know, it's like snow. It's got like little glittery chunk things in it. Oh, okay, it's hey, pretty funny. Have you found a way to use it? It just sits there. Yeah, it's like a trophy or something. Yeah. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't had an excuse to, and I've painted snow since then, and I just yeah. used white. So yeah, uh-huh. not yet. Maybe it'll just be a souvenir. What are you working on in the studio now? Or do you work in series or do you uh, kind of go all over the place? Imagery wise. Yeah, generally it's like show based. Are you like that? Or are you just kind of like, uh, theme, like thematic? It's hard to say because uh, I feel like I'm just kind of just starting out now with this, this 
painting biz and um, I'm trying to figure out how to move forward. And uh, it's, I feel like you're catching me at a, at a very early stage of like what I'm working on. So um, I've been thinking lately about, um, I don't know, just like having different, different sort of like things in my orbit. Um, I have a friend um, who talks about working that way, just sort of like having different motifs and jumping around from one to the other kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, I've, I've, I mean, you you shoot, you paint a wide variety of things, so it's I think it's different for you. It seems like. Yeah, I get I get I get. It's not like I'm trying to do it necessarily, but it just works out to where I'll get thematic for a show. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is even if I don't have a show, I feel like I just get interested in something for a little. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like oh, mm-hmm. I'll zone in on something, mm-hmm. and I I keep telling myself one of these days I'm going to do a show with just like. 10 images or 10 big paintings that are just totally different. Uh, and that's what my first couple shows were like, yeah, but yeah. I can never see that always gels into something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I'm working on, you know, a, a couple shows now and they both have specific themes. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck again. <laughs> can't seem to shake it. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. It, it helps. I think because, you know, when you, I think when you limit yourself to something mm-hmm. like a very sort of narrow subject matter, mm-hmm. it helps you be productive because mm-hmm. you kind of know what you're working with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you open it to a ton of stuff, it can be a little, you know, daunting or it mm-hmm. can slow you down because mm-hmm. you're like picking from a lot. It's like going to the store and there's like, you know, mac and cheese. Yeah. And or going to the store nowadays and there's like 4,000 different brands and all yeah. that. You know, yeah. it, it takes you longer to shop. Right. So it's like listening I to Spotify un- or something. Exactly. Can't do so it. So I think unconsciously I'll limit it <clears throat> or yeah. I'll zone in just to make it more to have like more of a flow of the images. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then again, I <laughs> love seeing I don't know how you feel about it, but I love going to see a, a show where the imagery is all over the place, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's kind of fun. Depend. Yeah, it depends on the artist. Depends on the work. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of like some of those like outside artists that just will paint one thing over and over and over again too. Like yeah, the guy that paints it's the still. elephants or something like that. And every painting is like, like relentless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something to that. To commit. One of my favorite artists is on Kawara, and he just painted the date every single day. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, and the boxes. I love the boxes too. Have you seen those before? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's I like those almost as much as the paintings. So good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what? Who are some? Uh, who are some people old and new that you find inspiration with? Because I think when we look at someone's work, we think, "Oh, they must like this or that person." But yeah. it's usually things that are way off from that. So, yeah. have you seen seen some stuff recently that's really got you going, or things from the past that you you're going back to and? getting into i feel like oh man i feel like just like everyone i feel like i'm looking at some images and chicago images and stuff like that oh yeah so maybe i'm just like part of the zeitgeist that way but um miyoko ito this artist from chicago Mm -hmm. whose work i love or um uh, wanda pimentel i think just discovered her work she's south american so um some of that and then um i think that that um I think if you look at my work, there's certainly you could see like who where I'm coming from, like in terms of like um, Frank Stella or something like that, or Joseph Albers kind of thing. But um, I think that's pretty. Jackson Pollock. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been funny if you just yeah, (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> Frankenthaler, Pollock, yeah. Clifford Still. <laughs> I think about that lately. Like when I see paintings that are really drippy and goofy, I just can't stand it now. I don't know why. I just, oh, really? It's, it's nails on the chalkboard? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the old paintings are nice to look at, that kind of stuff. Um, but Oh, you mean the nouveau versions of it? I guess so, yeah. Just like I, I just don't like the, the look of, of goopy paint, especially acrylic paint because it just looks like plastic, and I hate plastic. So That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like, uh, I don't know, new, new people. Are, I mean, there's, there's so many great people making work right now. I think that... Um, Holly Coolis is a favorite of mine. Um, Matthew F. Fisher, um, my teacher at Cranbrook, Bev Fishman, who's your, I think your, oh, your yeah. gallery mate. Yep. I think certainly she was a big influence on me. Um, Matt Connors. Um, do you know the artist Bernard? I don't know if his last name is Bernard Pifferetti. Paints like the two, two, he'll paint like a left, divide the canvas in half, paint an abstraction on the left, and then re- repaint that on the right sort of like mimic this oh, sort of like improvisational thing. I don't know that. You're going to have to send me that link. Afterwards. <laughs> I think he shows it. Listen, he's great. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. So, um, so again, that's a, another Nick cave, like someone who just like flew right by. And you can't, that you can't know everything, you know, it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> like I just started getting into Stevie wonder and it's like Stevie wonder has been around for eight, you know, for 50 years. And like so many people I know love Stevie wonder. And now I'm like, Oh, like I get it. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's two kinds of people in this world. Those who've been on the Stevie Wonder bus from day one yeah. and those who hear the songs in the key of life like later on and they're like, holy crap, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. And what I love about his music, it's just like the I think just the synthesizers, the electronic stuff is so cool. And so, yeah. you know, like emotional. And I think that that's some of my favorite music going to music. I feel like that's some of my favorite music is sort of like people who can use uh, electronics and things like that and craft something kind of very warm out of it. You know, yeah, like Sam Precop, I feel like he does that modular sense stuff, which I think that like a lot of the times when you hear that stuff and maybe just because I don't listen to a lot of it, but it can sound pretty ubiquitous um, and sort of the same. But what he does is create something really sort of like unique and like, oh, that sounds like him, even though it's instrumental and it's electronics, like that kind of stuff. But um, some of that this is my favorite, like the Republic record. And yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I think it's called two gentlemen yeah. that EP that they did. Yeah. The sewing machine and early Chicago songs on that yeah. record. Yeah. are So good. Yeah. Those are the kind of songs that I could put on in the studio on loop and yeah. just work to it yeah. for like hours. Yeah. That's the sound in visionary, which I, I want to ask you to say the title come from the Bowie song of the podcast. Well, yeah. Yeah. Or the, I mean. <laughs> or the CNK cover. Oh, well, it's probably both. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I, I knew the Bowie song, but I did love the sea and cake version of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it would probably be more like in my mind, it's probably more of the sea and cake, but obviously it's Bowie. Yeah. But it was really, you know, the play of like, you know, talking about something you're looking at. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a great uh, title for an art podcast, I think. Yeah, I felt bad because whenever I uh, interviewed uh, David Humphreys, who I'd talked to before, I didn't realize he had a radio show on PS1 Clock Tower Radio or something, and Mm -hmm. it was called Sound and Vision. And he would add artists come on and then bring albums or records and play them. Uh And it was kind of like their playlist or something. Yeah. Well, there could and be. And then when I interviewed him, he was like, "Hey, did you know that I have a radio <laughs> show called Sound of Vision?" I was like, yeah. "Shit, I had no idea. Sorry." Oh. He's like, "No, no, it's great." It's, it's, yeah. He's like, "I retired it, but it's like picking uh, a, band, is, a band name these days. It's like everything; all the good names are taken. It's taken. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna bump into something. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's really difficult to come up with something. Yeah, 
that hasn't been done. Yeah. But l- lately, that's um, some of my favorite music is this le- electronic stuff that, that can be kind of like um, pretty warm, I think. Yeah, that kind of, I would imagine when you were talking about Stevie Wonder, some of my favorite records are those Herbie records where he was getting really into the synth stuff mm-hmm. before it got too, like, you know, fusion-y. Yeah. Like when it was like the Sexton, I don't know if you've heard those records, like Thrust and Sexton. No. Those, they're really great. I don't even have um, songs in the key of life because I know it's amazing and I know it's going to be really, really, really good, but I'm saving it. <laughs> so like <laughs> I get to the store and there's like a really nice copy of it. I'm like, okay, now's the time I'm going to get into the songs of key of life. But like, I'm you just have a moment. Yeah. But I'm just still, still discovering the classic sort of like, you know, classic period stuff, like talking book and intervisions and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like some of my favorite stuff right now. Yeah. Lots of good stuff to mine. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about the art stuff, I was wondering, did you go see the Cezanne drawing show that everyone's talking about? Not yet. You've heard people talking about yeah. it, though, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I thought it was a great show, but I was blown away by the Calder show. I didn't even know they were having a Calder show at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's coming down soon, the Calder show. I, I Maybe I just, I, you know, I just got it in under the wire, but man, it was a great show. Yeah. Yeah. No one to my, or at least no one, I haven't been, you know, reading about that show, but I thought it was really great. Yeah. Uh, there's some, yeah, I, I saw that show. There's some weird, uh, small, the small ones on the wall. Yeah. The little motor mounted on, um, With the shadows. Yeah. Crazy shadows. Yeah. I love his paint too. Like that, whatever that paint was that he used, um, what is it? Some, it was like an early acrylic or maybe it was oil, but it's super flat, super matte and it's yeah. really beautiful. Um, Alkid, is that what he used? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe um, that sounds about right. Yeah, <clears throat> Alkid on metal. Yeah, it looks now that's a amazing. band name that is. <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, before Dead Painters, we were called uh, Bleachers, which is actually like a pretty popular band, but they weren't at the time. We uh, we were calling ourselves Bleachers, the same band as Dead Painters, and uh, we looked online to to register like BleachersMusic.com or something like that. And then we saw that it was taken and we found out who it was registered to was this guy, Jack Antonoff, who's a very popular oh, musician. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we wrote... The Strokes guy, right? No, no. He's from a band called Fun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Fun. Yeah. Uh, not my thing, but like we wrote and asked if we could take the, take, have that domain or something like that. And his manager wrote back saying, oh, he's planning on using that. And then they became this big band. But it was a good name for a second until we figured out that like he was going to come out and totally dominate the... Uh, the airwaves with that that name. You almost had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, funny, funny band name story. My first opening in New York, um, my friend Evan DJed it, mm-hmm. and he was handing out CDs of his new band called Cherry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he handed, they were like CDRs, you know, yeah. just, just said Cherry on it. Yeah. And um, I remember later on, he was like, "Yeah, I we had to change our name because there's already a Cherry," and we were they were frustrated yeah but then they changed it to ratatat and they did pretty well uh, with yeah. that name yeah but he was like really frustrated that it was already taken ratatat is, is a great name it sounds like their music i think yeah, yeah. It, it's funny sometimes you you get forced into a better decision maybe yeah i like dinosaur junior yeah. they just had to add on the junior because there's oh yeah there that's a, right a dinosaur which is a much better name what would they be without that? <laughs> yeah probably still pretty good but well, I guess our new band that we're going to form is going to be called Alkid on Metal. <laughs> I love it. That's and great. It's going to be not metal. Yeah. 
my wife is joking. She wants to start a band called a um, Decopage, but she wants to write it in the sort of like black metal font. It says Decopage. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. My biggest back pocket, I'll give it out because I'm never going to do it. Okay. <laughs> my, my biggest desire for naming a band was Befriend an Enemy, but an mm. enemy is spelled like the sea creature, not like uh, an enemy. Yeah. So Befriend an Enemy. I thought that would be a good one. Yeah. I guarantee no one's got it. Yeah, no. And it's whimsical. It's cool. Right? I could almost hear it, yeah. Well, you can have it. <laughs> Maybe Your for, new solo for my next analog synth yeah. record that you're putting out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, after we put out that Alkid Metal record. Yeah, we got a lot to do. <laughs> I'll work on that. <laughs> Are you in, you're in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. East Williamsburg. We, uh, I, th- I heard that there was going to be a tornado tonight, but maybe, did you hear about Seriously? that? Seriously? Yeah, there was a tornado no, watch I... in uh, parts of New Jersey, and I'm just Whoa. listening to the radio, I don't know. I, I did notice before we started this, um, as we were eating dinner with the family out the window, the trees had that kind of like slightly violent wind hitting it, where it like turns up from the bottom. Uh-huh. It's like a little more frantic, and w- where you think it's really going to rain here, or like something's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, it was scary. I mean, NPR was telling me to get into my basement, but I think they were only talking about certain areas of New Jersey. So, yeah. Look, you know, I mean, would it really shock us if a tornado hits tonight? It, it seems like par, par for the course at this rate. Yeah. From everything that's going on. <laughs> right. Man. <laughs> what, Crazy times. What else? Could, there was an earthquake in Alaska yesterday, right? I heard about that, yeah. Or was it today? I think it was yesterday. Oh, good times. Yeah. Um, so do you have anything that you're, you know, that you want to share with people as far as your work is concerned, how they could see it and any uh, projects yeah, and stuff? Yeah, I put a lot of stuff on Instagram. It's just under my name, Japheth Menace. You can find me there or my website. It's um, just how you spell my name. And um, Which no one, no, wait a minute, you can't say that. It's oh, not sorry. like your name is <laughs> Bill Steve or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have a name like the band names that we were trying to find. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I guess that's, yeah, there's not a danger of, uh, if you, you feel for those people who have the artist names where there's definitely other people with that name out there, but yeah, it's uh, J-A-P-E-T-H and last name's Menace, M-E-N-N-E-S. And um, you can find me that way. I have a show, I think I mentioned this earlier, opening in Portland at a ampersand yeah. gallery and that opens August 7th. And um, yeah, I think there's some other stuff coming down the pipe too. So cool. uh, yeah, I'll be around. Sounds good, man. Yeah. It was good to talk to you. Good, good to, to talk meet. to you, too. Yeah, good to meet you. I really love your paintings. Um, Likewise. Some, some Maybe we can do like a real, one of those studio visits where you actually go to the person's place. I would love that. Yeah, I've been trying to... Remember those? Yeah, I've been trying to do a thing now where I take my film camera to people's studios and not really shoot pictures of their work, but just like stuff, objects and That's things cool. like that. So yeah, uh, maybe I could do that someday. That would be really nice. Uh, it sounds like I don't want to put any pressure, but... Because you have a couple records you have to put out, but yeah. that sounds like a pretty good coffee table book. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Some right? big, beautiful <laughs> photos of like studio ephemera. Uh huh, yeah, that would be cool. Well, thanks a lot. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. I appreciate it. <laughs>